0: Well, it's wonderful to be with you again this morning, uh, even in this remote way, and I'm very much looking forward to the time when we can share physical time and space together, and that'll hopefully not be too far away. Um, although as, as restrictions continue to ease and, um, and there, there seems to be the hope of some kind of normality returning in some shape or form, I'm incredibly grateful uh, for how we as a collective body here at, at Gilnearhark uh, have been able to stay connected through this technology. It's been, uh, I know it hasn't been easy. It's certainly not the same. Um, but it's been a good gift to, to enjoy time together, enjoy fellowship in this way. So thank you for persevering with us over the last 15 months or so. Uh, for those who have now regathered in the building, uh, it's wonderful to have you there. For those who continue with us online, thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to be here with you. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our journey through First Peter. And for our time, we're going to uh, be spending most of our, our time thinking about the first half of chapter 3. perhaps maybe you could turn there in your bible that would be helpful and as you're doing so um, i I hope you've been encouraged by this series so far it's been challenging at times yes absolutely and we've been confronted by god's word on on some of that that hefty call of that that call to holy living uh, as followers of jesus the the reality that we are exiles in the world um, and how that means that our attitudes and our actions at times will make us distinct from the world that we live in but but this series has also been a joy a real joy as we've been reminded who we are in Christ, the, the wonder of his salvation for us, the, the eternal home that awaits, the, the hope and the peace and, and the power that is at work within us. It comes from God himself uh, as he equips us to live, his, live life for him under his leadership. Uh, and as we get stuck into the second half of the book, it is helpful for us to keep in mind uh, what Leslie highlighted a couple of weeks ago, looking at uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Uh, that pivot point in the book. Uh, and as Leslie so helpfully explained that that the, before that in the book from chapter 1 and then the first 10 verses of chapter 2, uh, Peter, the, the writer, was um, was encouraging us to remember the, the privileges that we enjoy in Christ. And then the second half of the letter, this section that we're in now, uh, Peter's going to help us under God's guidance uh, to teach us the re- to recognise the responsibilities that we have in light of those privileges. And so as Leslie explained, the overall context that we're working through, uh, for now for the rest of the series really uh, is the instructions on how we live out the Christian faith, how we live out our Christian identity and so let's just recap those verses in chapter two, eleven and 12. Dear friends I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, and now, as we've already seen, the letter goes on to flesh out that that principle in some concrete examples. Last week, David Smith helped us to think through uh, verses 11, or sorry, verses 13 to 25 of chapter two, uh, thinking about what it means to submit to those in authority over us in terms of our civil life and our, as an employee. And so, David led us through thinking about how we, the call to submit, actually leads us. freedom in Christ. The call to suffer leads us to understand solidarity with him. The call to die to sin leads us to life in Christ. Uh, The call to return to God which gives us salvation. Um, And now at the beginning of chapter 3 Peter's attention is going to turn to how following Christ affects our homes privately and then our church gathered family corporately. And in both of these settings we're going to see things that seem contrary to many messages that we may here in our culture today Uh, maybe even if you've got your bible open and you're looking already at verse 1 of chapter 3 you see one of those likewise wives be subject to your own husbands well that doesn't sound very 21st century in many ways does it but how about verse 9 do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless well that doesn't sound like many understandings of justice does it but there's also a theme that's developing as we work our way through first peter Uh, and part of last week's passage introduced us to this too that the instructions in God's word about how we're to live out our lives as his children as exiles distinct from the world around us those instructions are ultimately driven by a desire to please him to please God we're going to see today in verse 4 that we're to read about attitudes that are of great worth in God's sight in verse 20 from chapter 2 last week, we saw how suffering for doing good is commendable before God. So, for us, as we consider these timely truths again today, let's remember that regardless of how seemingly countercultural they may sound, as followers of Jesus, our aim is to please Him and Him alone. And not only that, we understand that as the Creator and Sustainer of all things, His ways, His directions are, of course, best. And so we long to follow them not only to please him but knowing that it will lead the life in full that he has promised us and so as we as we approach god's word this morning let's approach it humbly let's ask him for his help to be molded in the ways in which he wishes and so and so let's pray as we turn uh, to read the first 12 verses of chapter 3 father we thank you for your word and we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather around it and lord we pray that as we turn to it now may your voice speak clearly May you shape our hearts, may you mould our actions, may you inform our attitudes, Father, that we would live lives that indeed show others your great love, your wonderful glory and draw them into your presence. Father, we pray that you'd help us and it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Uh, this morning i'm going to read the first 12 verses of chapter 3 and i'm actually going to read them from the esv we normally would would use the niv here um, but there's just some phrases in the esv that translates things so beautifully Uh, apologies if that's different from the version that you have in front of you hopefully the esv will appear on the screen here and feel free to follow along as you have it so the first 12 verses of chapter 3 likewise wives be subject to your own husbands So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious for this is how the holy women of the past who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered finally all of you For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we pray God's blessing upon his word. And you'll see that this passage is broadly broken into the three main sections, and so that's how we'll consider the text this morning. We'll, we'll spend some time to examine the message directed towards wives, towards husbands, and the collective body of the church as a whole and indeed you could maybe summarise this even further and to say that we're going to think about the home family and the church family uh, and the home and the church are, are both spoken of many times throughout the New Testament and indeed there's, there's a real interplay between the two uh, the church is described for example as the household of God in First Timothy 3 language of the family is used to describe how Christians are related to one another as brothers and sisters adopted into God's family Ephesians 5 we see teaching again directed towards the home but the analogy that's used is of Christ's love for the church so the family of God and, and the human family have much to teach us about the other and one of the things we see throughout the New Testament about the human family and the church family is that God has much to say about the design for both of those institutions he has much to say about how things could be ordered and respected and that structure is to enable the flourishing of everyone who is part of that wider wider unit so the church for example uh, we read is to have overseers or elders and deacons with everyone equipped to build the body up younger members are to respect and learn from older older members are to nurture and invest in younger members And and the human family is given structure too with husbands sacrificially loving wives, wives submitting to husbands, children, obeying parents, parents not exacerbating their wives, their children. Uh, And so there's an order, there's a a structure, there's a blueprint for how the human family and the church family are to operate Uh, and in doing so that enables everyone within those units to to find their place to be equipped to be empowered to serve to to thrive in their following of jesus and part of the result of all of that is that these institutions are are so vibrant and so life-giving that they'll help to tell the world of of the love of christ of the freedom that he brings of the joy in obeying his word and of the life to the full that he brings yes and amen But however we know that the the, the structure and the order that that God has laid out has not always been popular and and still isn't today. But don't forget the context that we're reading through. See notice that that this chapter begins in verse 1 with likewise wives. And the teaching goes on. Again we see in verse 7 likewise husbands. And in verse 8 finally all of you. You See these elements of teaching are not standalone statements. They're connected and they're connected with what has gone before. And what was that? Well, we've already looked at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2, that we abstain from sinful desires, that we live such good lives that God gets glory. And let's not skip over then the end of chapter 2 as well, where Peter explains the example that Jesus gave. That Peter showed there that, that Jesus suffered, so we will suffer too as we follow him. In the same way, Jesus submitted his will to the Father, so we must submit our wills to the Father and his design. Now now that submission didn't mean defeat or or degradation for Jesus and neither does it mean that for us who submit to God's good ways. And we've seen already that God calls us to submit to different levels of authority as, as citizens, as employees. Today we'll see as wives, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. And so I say all that because clearly this section at the start of chapter 3 flows that same vein of argument, that this is still talking about the practical outworking of what it means to be disciples of Jesus in a world where we are exiles and foreigners, where we're submitting to authority that God has placed us under. But before we move on and look at the text specifically, I do want to pick up on one more thing, and that would be a, a very wrong interpretation and implementation of this teaching. And this idea of submission, um, I think we do need to be clear about it because I think the Bible is clear about it. The idea of submission never carries any suggestion of dominance on the other part. Yes, submission provides a framework for, for differences in roles in various settings, but it never, and certainly not in this passage, communicates a hierarchy of value or worth. See, from the creation narrative where man and woman are equally created as image bearers of God himself. Right the way through the New Testament letters, indeed we'll see it today in verse 7. Right the way through to eternity, there is never a biblical warrant for any kind of oppression or devaluing of anyone, especially women, in the home or in the church. Doing so has the potential to to be spiritually abusive. And it is clearly not biblical complementarity. Uh, and so if you've joined us this morning and you have been subject to a misuse of this teaching, whether at home or in the church, I'd just like you to know that, that you're not on your own and we would love to help and support in any way that we can. Uh, and to state it clearly, maybe it's been implied, but to state it clearly that we here at gilnaherk we uphold a, a biblical view of complementarity. Uh, the, the recognition that God has created the genders equally, carrying his image, equally inheriting the kingdom as we'll see in verse 7 today yet distinct in their roles and their functions and now, now having laid all that uh, by way of introduction let's turn to the, this good news that we're going to read this morning uh, and let's consider firstly the teaching directed towards wives so verse one uh, thinking of verse one and two likewise wives be subject to your own husbands and maybe we should just pause there and briefly note that this is a specific instruction it's wives in relations to their own husbands uh, this is not a universal command for all women to be subject to all men in every setting but verse 1 like, likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of your of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct so so peter begins by speaking directly to those wives uh, who may be married to men who are not yet believers in in Christ Jesus and that may have been really difficult maybe even dangerous uh, as a setting in those first century Greco-Roman homes see in that patriarchal society where the the faith of the man that the head of the house would have been expected to have been adhered to by everyone in that house of wives of children of slaves etc and so for a woman to believe something contrary to her husband could have been problematic but of course these wives know that they have found the truth in jesus and so they would of course desire that their husbands would come to know that truth too so how should they effectively communicate that gospel to them well we see in these two verses that it is by actions and attitude now of course that doesn't mean that That you will never have the opportunity or should never take the opportunity to speak to a spouse about your faith. That's not the uh, the overall teaching, but it is an important recognition here that our actions and our attitudes matter. It's the conduct of their wives, the respectful and pure conduct in some ways it's a reminder isn't it back to chapter 2 again in verse 11 and 12 in verse 12 we see keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us see your life matters how we live matters because even when we don't use words our lives speak something and they speak of what we hold dear see our, our lives display outwardly what is going on inwardly and so for those who are trusting Jesus we have a new identity in Christ that we've seen so far displayed in this letter and that identity will be made visible by how we live and yes that is true for wives who have husbands who don't yet believe but it's also true of all of us in many ways isn't it that our life speaks and so the challenge is what does your life say do your deeds provoke others to glorify God as they watch on now now of course this isn't about putting on some kind of show or or wearing a religious mask no that's not what the bible expects rather the lives that we are to live are to be an outworking of jesus transforming our hearts as i said earlier our lives display outwardly what is going on inwardly and and when that happens that inner transformation is beautiful to watch that's what we go on to see in verse 3 and 4 look at this do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious you see peter's still speaking to wives here but maybe it is just about how they can communicate the gospel to their husbands who are yet to believe but again there's a more broader principle here isn't there you see The most attractive way, if we can put it like that, to to present the gospel is not with exterior beauty or with glamour. But it's what's precious in God's sight. The inner beauty of a heart devoted to Jesus. A gentle and quiet spirit. Not being abrasive, not being argumentative, a gentle and quiet spirit. Yes, of course, it would be possible to draw people to God through exterior means. Through signs of beauty and, and wealth and status. But we know that all of those things are perishable. Beauty fades. Wealth deteriorates. Status falls down. But God sees the inner beauty, the hidden person of the heart, as very precious, and that is imperishable. And that little statement, the hidden person of the heart, is—it's one of the reasons I love the ESV translation of this passage. It's so powerful. I wonder—I wonder how how you think about it or how you understand that the hidden person of the heart it's it's more than just a nicely worded phrase isn't it it's actually deeply searching the hidden person of the heart in in other words who, who are you really when, when no one else is looking who are you who are you at your core when, when all else is stripped away Remember that scene from Shrek when he's talking to Donkey and he says that Shrek's are, uh, ogres are like onions and they peel back layers and layers of, of personality and experience and character. Well, who would we find right at the centre of our lives if we peeled that all back? Who is the hidden person of the heart? See, in a phrase that we've used before, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So we can dress up our lives all we want. We can be as ornately decorated, if you like. But if the heart is not a gentle and quiet and imperishably beautiful, then it's all just window dressing. Now, the opposite is also true, therefore, that a gentle, a quiet spirit, a heart devoted to Jesus, is truly beautiful in the purest sense of that term, beautiful. And I think it's important here to understand that, that, that God isn't against physical beauty that's not the message that's going on Uh, god through peter isn't having a go at those who wear makeup or those who dress nicely or have nice jewelry if he was then he would also be having a go at those people who wear nice clothes Um, but what he is saying is that true beauty beauty that makes the gospel attractive in your life comes from his work within you So, so therefore give your heart more fully to him allow him to transform your desires and your attitudes and your actions And in doing so, then you will adorn yourself with gospel beauty, just like the faithful woman of previous generations. And I wonder if you hear that description of true inner beauty and and someone instantly pops to mind. Someone you knew or or maybe knew of, uh, and, and their heart for Jesus just shone through everything that they did. Maybe it was a relative or a friend or even a writer or a speaker who has helped you. It's good to think of these great women of faith but don't just think of how great God's work in their lives their life was God also wants to do that work in you and so so women of God shine forth with the beauty of the gospel at work in your heart let's move on to think about the teaching to husbands verse 7 likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered now obviously there's less time and space here devoted to the instructions to husband, husbands but by no means does that downplay the importance of what's being said let me put it like this, and I'll read the verse again. Can you, can you begin to imagine the impact on our marriages and on our families if those of us who have the privilege of being husbands live this verse out with greater obedience and greater intensity? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May God help us do just that. Now, now let's unpack a little bit more of this verse, uh, and I'm just going to raise four uh, key points uh, as we walk through. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, to to live in an understanding way essentially means to live according to knowledge, according to what you know. And so to live in an understanding way is more than just being considerate. It's actually a means of investing time to really get to know your wife not just know about her hopefully you've got a lot of that information already down but know her passions know her dreams know her frustrations know her anxieties know her heart if i can put it like that live in an understanding way live according to what you know of your wife and therefore get to know her deeply live in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel um, now, now, weaker vessel here is one of those things that could be completely misinterpreted to think that it is talking about women as less able or less valuable. That, that cannot be true when we read all of Scripture. Surely what's being talked about here is just the reality that in the majority of the cases, uh, men are physically stronger. And it's that physically uh, physical strength that can be sinfully used then to manipulate or, or control or threaten. But that's not what is to happen here. Husbands, show honor to your wife. Thirdly, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And here we see the equality of value and eternal reward for both men and women. And it reminds us of Galatians 3.28, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. You see, when it comes to receiving the gift of grace from Jesus Christ, there are no barriers to who is deemed worthy to receive it. It's a free gift for all, male and female. Equally inherit the life that Jesus comes to give and equally share eternity with him. And therefore husbands should treat their wives accordingly as co-heirs of the grace of life. And finally then, we do all that so that our so that your prayers may not be hindered. And that might maybe initially jar with some of us as if that's quite a strange conclusion to reach. But but not when we see it in full view and what Peter is about to go on to say. See, in verse 12, Peter quotes Psalm 34. And there we see, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so we see the link between the husband who lives in an understanding way, who honours his wife, he is described as righteous. If not, the opposite then, his prayers will be hindered. They will not be heard. The Lord's ear is open to the prayer of the righteous. And indeed, in this quotation, it would actually go on to say that if the husband is not showing honour to the wife, if the husband is not living in an understanding way, then he is actually going against God's design and plan. He is actually acting in an evil way. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. These are strong words, but these are important words. Husbands, we've got to get this right. And how do we do that? what does this look like Well, let's um, let's let Juan Sanchez sum it up for us Christian husbands are to lead their wives with an understanding that leads to sacrificial servant love which allows our wives to flourish and grow as disciples of Jesus under our care that's what godly leadership does so so Christian husbands we are in an incredibly privileged position we have a great responsibility and opportunity to help our wives flourish under our care under God's care And that in some ways should feel weighty. And it's not a minor gift that we've been given. But alongside that responsibility, we should know that it is in God's strength and only in his strength. It is only by his guidance, only by his leadership, only for his glory, only by his work in our lives that we can do that. So let's surrender ourselves more to him. Let's rely more openly on him so that he will lead us so that we can lead where he's placed us. And so we've seen instructions for wives, instructions for husbands. Let's finally and briefly look at what these words have to say to us about the church as we gather together. And let's read verses 8 to 12. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These characteristics that are mentioned here in verse 8. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. I wonder if you can see there's almost a, a poetry and a mirroring there uh, and, and that kind of pivots around that phrase and right in the middle brotherly love and so we have brotherly love in the center that is the the crux of how we do all the others and from brotherly love then we can have a, a unity of mind which comes with a humble mind we can have sympathy that comes from a tender heart and all of those things are enabled by brotherly love for one another And so if we are to grow together as a body of believers, we are to love one another. Again, it's a message of the heart, isn't it? For our hearts to be softened to one another, for our hearts to show sympathy and to be tender, then we must love one another, actively, decisively love one another. And in verse 9, there's there's a further outworking of of chapter 2, verse 11, because when we're wronged or insulted, we we want to retaliate. That's our sinful desire, as we saw there. But through Christ's power, because of his work in our lives, we are to abstain from that sinful desire. And in its place, then, we are to live such good lives that we, that, that the, the, those around us may see our good deeds glorify God. And there's a real tangible sense and a concrete example here that if someone acts in this way, this is what you should do. And I find that so helpful, and not only in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2, but even as we'll see in a second as we move through, that it's not just abstain from this, it's not just get rid of this, but there's a, an opportunity to replace it with something. So abstain from sinful desires and in, in its place live God, such good lives. And we're going to see more of that now as we see. And so when someone insults you, when someone is evil towards you, don't do, don't re, do not respond and repay evil with evil. Don't repay reviling with reviling. But in its place, bless. But how is that possible? Someone insults, how am I to bless? Well, on our own strength, of course, it's not possible. But as a result of Christ's gracious transformation of our hearts, it is possible. You see, it's the idea, once again, of our hearts has been key throughout this whole passage. And it even comes across in this quotation that we see from Psalm 34. See there's much in this psalm, whoever desires to love life and see good days must keep his li- tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And There's lots here about our words, but do you remember what Jesus said about our words and how those words are connected with our heart? Because Matthew 12 we read Jesus challenging a group of religious Pharisees who valued the outward experience even when their hearts were cold and hard. And so Jesus starkly said to them, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him it's all about the heart and so if we want to replace that uh, that desire to be to respond with evil uh, to respond to evil with evil then we've got to change our heart and let our hearts be changed by the grace of god and that inner work that he has done and is doing is then displayed purposefully in our actions and in the choices that we make. You see again verse 10 and 11, look at look at the decisiveness here, the the intentionality of not of rejecting one way and choosing another. In verse 10 and 11 we read let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it see that intentionality keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit let him turn from away from evil and and in its place do good seek peace pursue peace and so in this in this battle that we have with our sinful desires to respond in the way that that our sinful flesh would want to in the way that we actually counteract that is by letting our eyes be fixed on jesus the one who is truly good, the one who is truly peace, the one who is truly um, blessing. We focus our eyes on Him, and therefore His uh, work in our lives will enable that to, our our response to that to be transformed. And so, rather than acting how we how we may want to in our sinful desire, we respond with His gracious blessing. And as we do all of that, as we respond in those ways, as we uh, as we build on that, that unity, that humility in mind, as we show sympathy and tender heartedness, as we love one another. Won't our lives together as God's family be richer? And and together won't we, won't we know God more among us and around us in the community? And, may, and won't it all be indeed showing who he is for his glory to those around us? And and so this morning we've seen some very practical, tangible steps in how we're to continue to stand firm in the faith, in our home life and in our church life. And, And ultimately how we do that is a matter of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 seems like a great place for us to conclude this morning. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Wives, husbands, church family, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so if we're wanting to live more faithfully in our marriages and together in our church family, then we need to get our hearts right. And that's not meant to be some kind of pithy saying, but a genuine call from this passage to humble ourselves before God, ask him to help us to surrender more of ourselves and our desires to him and to give him the freedom to rule and to reign in our hearts and lives so that his transformational grace is more at work within us and therefore that inner transformation is displayed in our outward lives. And so our conduct is honourable and those who see it may glorify God and would he get all the praise that he deserves. Let's pray together as we finish. Father, we thank you once again this morning for your word. And Father, I pray that your word would speak powerfully. Father, I ask that you would help us to put into practice your word, that we would be hearers and doers of your word. And so Father we do in light of today's passage we pray for uh, the marriages in our church we pray for your protection over them we pray for your provision for them and we pray Father that, that our marriages would indeed speak of your love and your grace and your truth uh, to our families to our, our neighbours, our families and friends Lord would you help us and Father as a church family uh, we pray that you would help us uh, to, to demonstrate more and live in the reality of that brotherly love Father, that we would be sympathetic, we would be tender-hearted, we would be united as we are humble together. Father, in all of these things we recognise that how you're calling us to live is indeed the best way. It is your way, therefore it is the best way. Yet it is sometimes difficult because we are seeking to live your path in a world that doesn't always make that easy. God, would you help us to be obedient? Would you help us to be Uh, courageous when we have to be would you help us to once again and and forever stand firm in the faith so come and have your way we pray and it's in your name we ask it amen